0: Well, hello there. Welcome to the Do Justice podcast. I'm Steve Allred, and thanks for joining us today. You know, over the past year and a half or so, there's been a lot of debate and discussion about personal freedom and the role of government in public life, especially during a public health crisis. And to be honest, I'm kind of tired of the discussion, but. I think it's one we still need to probably have, you know, whether you've grappled with this topic already or are looking for some new insights, I think you'll appreciate the conversation that follows with Dr. Sean Pittman today. Now, I intended to bring in another guest, a friend of mine who has a very different perspective uh, to present, you know, his views on this topic, but that didn't work out for this episode. Uh, Maybe we'll Uh, try that sometime in the future. And I should note that Dr. Pittman does have a great article that I do mention in the interview that follows uh, on his website, educatetruth.com. You'll want to check it out. It has lots of good references and resources uh, when it comes to this issue and looking at it from a Christian perspective. So let's just go ahead and jump into that conversation right now. Dr. Sean Pittman, uh, welcome to the do justice podcast. Thank you. It's good to have you here. Um, for our listeners who may not know you, um, I know you're a medical doctor and you practice, uh, here in uh, Northern California. Tell us a little bit about what you, uh, what area you practice in. And then I want to talk about a website that you, uh, write articles for. Yeah. I'm a
1: psychologist here in Northern California, and I do um, mostly anatomic and clinical pathology, and I also have a have specialty in hematopathology and, and blood and blood banking and and everything to do with uh, uh, like flow cytometry and genetics and things like that. So that's mostly what I do here in Northern California.
0: That's neat. You know, you have uh, written some really informative pieces um on your website, EducateTruth.com. I think I got that right. Um, and I've appreciated reading your pieces over the past year and a half or so. Um, you've talked a little bit about some of the COVID, you know, issues with COVID, um, the um, vaccines uh, for COVID, um, and so you know, really appreciate your research and and the way you kind of have simplified the issues for someone like myself, who's a lay person when it comes to, you know, the medical field. Um, So anyway, recently you wrote a great piece that I think you entitled Mandates Versus Religious Exceptions on EducateTruth.com. And you begin your piece there talking about the importance of personal freedom to Christians and how the American nation was built on this idea of individual liberty. And you, you mentioned you know, Patrick Henry's give me liberty or give me death, right? His very famous uh, words that we all know. And yeah. I thought it was a great piece because you really, I think you, you try to look at kind of the big picture. And you say, hey, this is important. Personal freedom is very important to us as Christians, as Americans. It ought to be, right? Uh, and then you ask this question. I'm going to kind of start here. You say, does this mean then uh, that the United States of America and Christianity in general stands for complete individual autonomy, that there is no place for government or the enforcement of civil laws upon those who think themselves free to disregard uh, any and all laws and governments with which they do not personally agree? Now, I'm going to probably answer that question for you. I want to hear your answer, but um, most people are going to say, well, I don't believe that. That's extreme, right? I, I do believe there's some place for civil government, but, but, but tell us, you know, why did you ask that question, and what is your rationale behind the answer to that question for you?
1: Well, for me, I, I think it's it helps to clarify my own thinking to start with extremes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like how far do you, how do you far do you push the envelope? Do you really want to go full anarchy, and what would that mean? And why do we have governments? Why are there limitations on personal freedoms, even if you don't just dis- don't agree with every single point with the government, you know, why are governments necessary or why are they helpful? And, uh, you know, why even does God in the Bible set up governments and, and, and and point out that he's the one who sets governments in place. And even the kingdom of heaven is set up as a government hierarchy and law and order. And so at, at what point is the balance, should there be a balance between, you know, government and law and, uh, enforcement of those laws and personal freedoms. And, uh, you know, it's good to start with, with extremes, I think, and then, and then work inward from there. Because
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it really does make the issues clear when you're, um, starting out and saying, well, wait, do we need government at all? Do, do we really believe in absolute, uh, you know, personal freedom or is there some limit to that? Right. Um, where, where do you see in the Bible, you know, you mentioned the government of God and things like that, but where are some specific, um, maybe admonitions for Christians, you know, believers in the word of God that you see in the Bible to support this idea that there is a place for limitations on freedom, you know, for, for civil government to tell us what to do. I think Paul, Paul is
1: pretty clear. He says, you know, the government doesn't set up or it doesn't hold the sword for nothing, you know. And and also the Levitical laws set up by God Himself. But even outside of a theocracy, um, even a, a basic civil government that Paul describes, even the Roman government, Roman law, uh, and Christ Himself said, you know, you should actually go along with Roman law. Like even even if it's egregious, like you know, there was a law where if a Roman soldier asked a Jew to carry his his uh, equipment. And his pack for a mile, that was Roman law, you could ask, any soldier could ask you to carry his equipment for a mile. And Jesus said, you you know, well, not only should he carry it for a mile, you should probably go the extra mile, carry it another mile or more. And so uh, there's a lot of um, places in the Bible where it talks about civil government and how the Christian should support civil government as long as it doesn't directly violate a law of God. So, um, and, and even Paul describes it as the government is set up by God himself. So you should honor the government as you would honor God himself, like, a a law of God himself, as far as it doesn't disobey the direct command of God.
0: And that is an interesting, um, caveat, you know, to say, as long as it doesn't, you know, cause you to disregard, disobey God's law, um, you know, and, and you could argue, I guess, on the other side of this, that there is, you know, pretty, a pretty broad space for interpretation there, you know, because, you know, my interpretation of God's law might be different than yours. And I may say, well, yeah, this, this violates my, you know, what I see in the word of God or even my conscience, you know? Um, And
1: that's very true. Different people interpret what God is saying to them and even what the Bible is saying to them differently mm -hmm. than other people. But, Part of it, and I have I approached this from a perspective of having served in the military myself and come under court martial twice mm-hmm. for um, my desire to observe the Sabbath as I see that I need to observe it, and it and it brought me in conflict with direct orders in the military, and and twice I was uh, brought under court martial and had mm-hmm. to go through that, and that was. Uh, Very interesting, and it actually ended up um, playing out in my favor, but um, very interesting stories. And so Mm. uh, I can understand, because most Adventists who went into the military, and even in the exact same situation that I was in, did not see things the way I did, and uh, so they didn't have the same problems that I did. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. Even in in the exact same coursework, and so I can understand the, the differences of opinion and what, what you think God is telling you. But my perspective, and certainly my experience when I was in the military, is that they pushed really hard on me and on anybody who disagrees with the direct order, obviously. Uh, but they 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 didn't do so, so much to... Uh, because they were against my religion, they did say to see I was consistent in my religion. Mm-hmm. And it, consistent consistency is a really big deal. And once they found out that I was consistent, that I wasn't just playing games, right? sure. that I was going to put a lot on the line, and that I was consistent in everything. Like, my entire religion was consistent. Um, and I, I meant what I said, as far as what I believed. Mm-hmm. Then they uh, were very strongly behind me they they really appreciated that and were strongly supportive of of my religious convictions after they felt confident that i was- that I was sincere and that I was consistent
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and
1: so consistency I think is a big deal i was like yes you you may believe different things uh different people may believe different things, but at the very least you should be consistent in your beliefs and not just apply it in certain ways to certain situations. You need to be consistent across the board all the time. Sure. And so, uh, because people, people pick up on that. And especially at people outside of your religion, a secular society, they, they watch you closely to see if you're consistent in what you say and not that you're just playing games because I feel this way for this particular moment. And I want, so I want, I want that's to... where that's,
0: Yeah, no, and that's a. I'd love to hear more of your story on that sometime um, about your experience in the military. I think that's. I want to pick up on this um, kind of the theme that you you're getting to there with um, the consistency aspect because I feel like um, we're seeing a little bit of that with those who are requesting religious exemptions to the vaccines who may never have had you know may not be religious to begin with or. You know, it's just kind of like that's the only option at this point, so they're going to use it. And it, it I think you bring up a good point that it may not really, um, if it looks inconsistent, it really doesn't probably make us look that great, and maybe even our, our faith, our God. You know, um, I want to, I want to just step back for a second. So this idea of personal freedom, you, we've talked about how that's important. Um, you know, kind of maybe. placed in contrast to that, it seems like nowadays is this idea of the greater good, right? Like we need to wear masks for the greater good. You need to get vaccinated for the greater good. Um, some of my Christian friends have really pushed back against the greater good concept. They feel like it is kind of trying to get people to, you know, put aside their personal convictions, personal freedom, and kind of you know, be melded into a group think mentality and just go along with the, the flow. And and uh, and they see a lot of danger with that. Um, do you see, you know, personal freedom and the greater good being completely at odds with each other? Do you think it's, is there ever a time for people like you, you're a Christian, I'm a Christian to go along with uh, what society is asking us to do for the greater good, and how do we know when to do that as followers of Christ?
1: Yeah, that was exactly the same argument the military used with me. They said, look, this is for the greater good. You need to be part of this military program, military force, be with the program, you know, work as a unit. It's all for the greater good. And I was like, well, most of the time I would agree, but this is a direct command of someone who has higher rank. I mean, you know, frankly... Mm -hmm. And so who am I to say that this is the greater good? You know, God has told me that, you know, this particular command is a direct violation of something that he said is for the greater good. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I'm just obeying the higher authority. And I don't question, you know, uh, what he says as far as the greater good. So for me, I believe that God's commands are for the greater good. And that if I violate them, that ultimately would not be for the greater good. So it kind of flipped it on its head for them because they understood it from a command perspective, like God outranks everybody.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And if, you know, if if I get a command from a general and you're a colonel, you know, which command should I obey? Mm -hmm. You know, it's not for me to question, you know, which is the greater good. I'm just going with the higher rank here. You know, I'm just a lowly (laughs) peon. And so they kind of understood it from that perspective and it ended up playing out okay uh, in the long run uh, that way. And so that, that's how I personally think about it. I say, God has given me a direct command, and so uh, if it is coming directly from God, then I believe it's for the greater good. However, there are some situations, like with vaccines, for me personally, I don't see anything in the Bible. In fact, I do. actually see that the Bible supports uh, quarantines and, and things for the greater good of a society— uh, where you actually relinquish personal liberties quite a lot of them you can get isolated uh, uh according to biblical mandates even uh, how the how God uh, advised uh, doing various quarantines for medical problems uh where individual liberties were indeed sacrificed for the greater good and that's how I kind of see I mean, mask wearing is the least you can do for your neighbor mm-hmm. as far when mm-hmm. when you're in when you're in the middle of a pandemic. Even if you believe it has, you know, fairly minor minor benefits, that's like, well, a minor benefit is still a benefit. What I mean, what's the least you can do to help your neighbor, even if it's psychological, even if you're going somewhere and you don't wanna make people, you know, uncomfortable, that's like, well, you know, it's the least I can do in a public place is to wear a mask, at least initially, um, when the ma- when the pandemic first hit. I was like, man, that's the least I can do. And so I certainly viewed it as, uh, as a, my Christian duty to benefit my community and my neighbors uh, to wear a mask. And the same thing when the vaccine first came out, once I knew that it had some uh, pretty significant beneficial effects, I was like, uh, and the risk itself, I was like, you know, even the Bible talks about taking risks for your neighbors, like um, the Good Samaritan, for example. The Good Samaritan, when he helped out that injured person in the middle of nowhere with robbers all around, he took a personal risk to help his neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that Christians are called to take at least some reasonable risk to help our neighbor. If you, if in acting in a certain way, you, you certainly benefit your neighbor. that's like That's the risk that we should take. Sure. So part of and and being a medical doctor and working in the hospital I, it, it kind of adds another layer to that. It's like I work with a more vulnerable population and and so for me to lessen my risk of exposure to someone else, not just myself but to someone else who may be uh, have a worse outcome than even me or my own family thats that's another reason why I should take the vaccine to help protect my patients as well mhm, mhm
0: so this this idea of the greater good I think again a lot of folks view it with suspicion as some folks do because they feel like it can be used it can be abused you know and I think you um
1: it can be abused but, yeah. but as long as it's not a direct violation of a law of god mm-hmm. then I think that I think that we should go along with it even if you think that you personally don't agree with some sort of Law or mandate from the government, as long as it's not a direct violation of law of God, and uh, as long as it doesn't um, violate some sort of inherent human right
0: mm-hmm. or your uh, conscience.
1: I, I, yeah, your conscience in some way, which is, I can't think of much that would go violate. My, conscience, it's not actually against the Word of God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But if it's not directly against the Word of God or somehow violating your conscience, um, somehow you think it's unethical, then you should do it, even if you don't agree. Sure. Because I think it's it's part of uh, supporting your community and your government and trying to, to support your leadership as far as you can.
0: You know, one thing over the past year and a half that I have... Uh wanted to see more of, and I've seen it in some places, but I, I've, you know, wanted to to reflect this in my own life is as a follower of Christ to be, for his church to be known as, hey, we are the people that care about, you know, the welfare of society, especially during a, a time when, you know, there's there's a pandemic and and people are suffering, you know, obviously from the illness itself, as well as from you know, economic harm and other things like that. Um, you know, the church, I feel like really ought to be the place where people look to for, uh, an example of, you know, people that care. And I, I was reading this from a book called Patriarchs and Prophets, um, written by Ellen G. White over a hundred years ago. I'm going to just share this quotation. She said, we are all woven together in the great web of humanity, and whatever we can do to benefit and uplift others will reflect in blessing upon ourselves. The law of mutual dependence runs through all classes of society. Now, that might sound a little, you know, touchy feely, um, almost New Agey, you know, to some folks today, but but there's a there's an element of truth here that we can't forget as Christians, right? That we are kind of interdependent on each other. That we. Uh, we need each other and other people need us. And we need to recognize that, um, you know, how and, you know, especially for, for certain Christian groups that kind of, you know, are, are wanting to come out of the world and be separate from the world and that type of thing. How do we strike that balance, you know, between saying we're going to follow God and, and, you know, come out from among them and be, be separate, like it says in first oh. Corinthians six. And yet we, we have this, This quotation here, for example, with this concept of "Hey, even you know everybody else in this world, we're all connected together. We need to be there for each other. How do we do that as Christians? Do you think?"
1: Well, I think we need to come out of the world as far as you know, secular activities that are harmful to to. To us as Christians, but Jesus, when he's talking about his disciples, he prays for them saying, Don't take them out of the world, but give them strength to live in the world as a light to, uh, to spread the gospel, the good news, uh to everybody, uh, to attract them to uh, Christian way of life. And the Christian way of life, like you like you mentioned, and like Bill talks about, is a web where we're all interconnected. We're we're all looking out for the best interest of our neighbor rather than ourselves. And it's and if you have, it's better because if you're only looking out for your own interest, you're just one person looking after yourself. But if you live in a Christian society where everybody looks at uh, thinks of the other person. Uh, primary before themselves then you have hundreds and thousands of people looking after you instead of just one mm-hmm. you know and uh, and it's just it's like a family where where you feel uh empowered and supported and that everybody would be willing to put their lives on the line for you and you'd be willing to do the same for everybody else in your family in your church family in your church community and uh and and Adventists in particular, and Ellen White talks about that, it's not we don't just look at it as other Adventists that is in our family. We look at it as the entire world. We want to go and save the entire world. The whole world is our family. And we we look out for the best interest of anybody who is uh within our sphere of influence. Mm-hmm. And so part of the the way I look at the vaccine and this whole pandemic is that we should be leading we should be cutting edge as far as serving our community anybody in our community uh, we should be looking out for their best interest even if we have to take a minor risk to do that
0: sure so so let's shift gears and and talk more about the vaccine and specifically the vaccine mandates because um, you know in your piece that i mentioned earlier, you you really talk about the mandates and, and I think you take the position that you're not really in favor of, uh, you're in favor of the vaccines, but not necessarily the mandates, the mandating of the vaccine, I think is what I understood from your article. Um, and you can clarify that. You mentioned three groups when it comes to those who are in opposition to the vaccine mandates. Can you kind of summarize those three groups for us that you see? And then let's talk a little bit about, you know, some of the you know, inconsistencies you see in some of those positions?
1: Okay. As far as the three groups, there are those who believe that the mandates or the vaccines are beneficial, but the mandates are infringement of personal liberty. They Mm -hmm. go too far. There are those who believe that vaccines are beneficial, uh, but are not in favor of government mandates because they're counterproductive, but there are better ways to promote the vaccine. And then there are those who believe the vaccines are just poisonous and dangerous and, and the, God is the temple of God, and the government should not be able to mandate something that uh, violates the temple of God. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And you so, find yourself so, in I mean, this second group, is that right?
1: Yeah, in the second group, uh, I mean, there are a lot of vaccines that are mandated already. Sure. You, know, you have to have a certain number of vaccines to work in the hospital. You have to have certain vaccines to go to school, even grade school and preschool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these, this particular uh, COVID nineteen vaccine, the mRNA vaccines in particular, have been so politicized that the um, there there's so much political pressure on them that it kind of overshadows the science in a way. Sure. And I think that the mandates, in light of of these new mRNA vaccines, a uh, mandates at this particular point in time would be are counterproductive. They just don't do as well as other methods that could be promoted by the government mm-hmm. um, that would go that would be better
0: like like what would you what would you suggest in that regard I'm just kind of curious what would you think would work better um, I mean I know we've done like in California they had you know uh, some sort of like lottery or you know it's like if you you know, got the vaccine, you'd been into a lottery to, you know, win something. They had these incentives, basically. Do you think that type of thing probably works better or uh, something else?
1: No, I I think better would be like um, better promotion of education, better uh, science promotion Mm -hmm. by the government, uh, especially local governments, and maybe even um, uh, insurance, uh, uh, putting it onto insurances, like say, look, Mm -hmm. if you don't. If you're unvaccinated, well, that's fine. You're you're free to do that. But uh, if you get admitted to the hospital, there's going to be higher insurance costs.
0: Right. Okay. Uh,
1: mm-hmm. And I I think that would actually would allow people to have more freedom, and it all would also because people tend to favor their pocketbook. You know? Sure. Like hey, you can have freedom, but it's going to cost you something if you actually get
0: sick, or maybe know? even raising premiums for those who aren't right. Um, I mean, right, that, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm
1: suggesting. Okay. Yeah, because it's it's going to cost you know it's going to cost more medical supplies, more medical effort and resources if you get sick. So we're going to have to you know cover that risk financially for you. Sure. And so you can you can be free, but it's going to cost something to do that.
2: Yeah. Okay.
1: And so I think that would probably end up more of a motivator than actually heavy-handed, cold, you know, you have to do this or else.
0: Right, right. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So, you talk in your article about that third position, which, you know, those who believe the vaccines are, the COVID-19 vaccines are, you know, poisonous and dangerous, and, you know, they are opposed because they don't want to defile their, their body temple, um, which is a, a biblical concept, right, of not putting something into your your body that defiles it. Um, Why do you feel like in this case um, that is not, you know, I think you you mentioned it's not really consistent. You see some inconsistencies in that third view. Can you elaborate on that?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's possible I suppose to be totally consistent with that third view. And if somebody were absolutely convicted and uh, they were totally consistent with with that position, then I would support them. Mm Mm-hmm. But most people who take on that third position that their body is the temple of God and they're not going to do it for that particular reason, they're totally inconsistent uh, for the reasons that they give. Um, and for a number of reasons, uh, and I list off several there. Uh, person, you know, like trying to say that, you know, they can't allow any risk to themselves at all because their body is the temple, but they, they drive their cars, they... Uh, use seat belts or airbags. And, and
0: those things have risks, you're saying.
1: Yeah, all these things have risks. Or if they're concerned about the use of fetal cell lines, well, the mRNA vaccines don't have those. They're not based on, they don't require any sort of culture media to produce. So they, they aren't dependent on production for fetal cell lines. And then the people who are concerned about fetal cell lines used in testing, uh, the original testing of the vaccines, Well, a lot of medications that most people use, maybe most people aren't even aware, uh, are also uh, based on testing of these uh, decades old fetal cell lines. And so if you use any of these medications, uh, some pretty common ones, you know, Mm -hmm. like uh, Motrin or Tums or Maylocks or Xlax or Benadryl to mm-hmm. the uh, Zoloft. I mean, all, a lot of very common over-the-counter drugs are, are based on on uh, the HELOC, uh, or the HeC uh, cell line.
0: They've testing. been tested on those on those cell lines, right?
1: Yeah, HeC two ninety three. They have been tested on these cell lines, and so it's kind of inconsistent that you use some things on the one hand, but not other things on the other hand, and so that's kind of inconsistent.
0: You know before we go on with with the other inconsistenencies g- you see I want to just just for a moment take a quick detour and just ask you about those fetal cell lines. I've heard from some Christians who are you know concerned about that uh, and you know they're they're concerned about um, abortion, and so they say you know in their view, you know every time you know these fetal cells are used they they believe that's coming from a you know recent Abortion, In other words, this is kind of like perpetuating abortion by using these medications. Is that, you know, in actuality what's happening?
1: Uh, in fact, uh, the cell lines that are actually used, and there's only a handful of them that are popular that are used, are several decades old. Uh, the h uh, and uh, cell line um, in h and 293 it was started up in, in 1973, and uh, nobody can say for sure, but it was it was probably a spontaneous abortion mm-hmm. um, that took place, and there's no reason why it couldn't have been. And uh, these cell lines were then made immortal and grown in petri uh, dishes, and uh, they just continue to divide and divide forever, and uh, lots of scientific experiments have been taken out on them, but uh, it, it doesn't require you know uh, deliberate abortions or abortions going forward because these cell lines are already established and they're mortal mm-hmm. and you can make more and more and more of these cells and it doesn't require any additional uh, fetal tissue or fetal loss of any kind mm-hmm. and so to to argue that this promotes abortion it's it's just not true it doesn't promote abortion and uh, it's actually contributed to a great deal of medical advance. And to say that mm-hmm. we're just going to res- discard all knowledge that are based on these uh, cell lines that were established decades ago, you know, for me personally, I don't think that that is um, a beneficial thing to do or even ethical uh, in a lot of ways because a lot of people's lives are dependent on these tests. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, okay.
0: Okay. So you you mentioned some other inconsistencies you see um and and I I a couple of them I thought were interesting you know god never used vaccines you know some people use that as a you know or basically you know it's kind of like god has given us our immune system we should just depend upon that why why do you see that as being inconsistent because um god didn't
1: mention a lot of things in science he didn't even explain germ theory—he didn't explain a lot of things mm-hmm. uh, in the Bible—that he still gave medical guidelines without explaining the underlying reasons for them. He just gave you rules, gave us rules of thumb for things that we should do and not to do as far as diet and health and, um, and medical advice in the Bible without explaining a lot of underlying science. But that doesn't mean that the Bible— is the beginning and end of all science. God still gave us rational brains
2: sure. for
1: a reason, and I think he, that God, is the God of science, and He's behind everything that's good. Mm-hmm. All good discoveries of science, all good discoveries of medicine. Uh, God, I think, is responsible for that. And even Ellen White, you brought brought Ellen White up. She took it. She took advantage advantage of all the good scientific advances in her day. She uh, recommended quinine, even though she called it a poison in her books. She recommended using quinine to treat malaria. Uh, she had radiation therapy on the skin lesion on her face. She promoted blood transfusions. She even promoted a smallpox vaccine in her day. She was okay with her son getting it, even though he had trouble with vaccines when he was a child. So obviously she did give him vaccine as a child. He didn't do so well because a lot of the vaccines in her day were contaminated with bacteria, and some of them gave rise to pretty bad infections. And so there were even greater risks for vaccines in her day, yet she still took advantage of them and uh, was okay with them after, you know, listening to the pros and cons for the smallpox vaccine when her son was an adult, she was okay with him getting the vaccine and his staff and her personal secretary said she was even vaccinated when, during a smallpox outbreak in the region where she was at. And so it's not like uh, some of the in particular haven't promoted advances in modern medicine. Uh, we're, we're especially kind of cutting edge. That's what we're known for. We have hospitals around the world. We do a lot of research into advances in health and medical treatments for cancers and, and chronic diseases and uh, diet and health, and that's our big thing right arm of the gospel is that we are strong promoters of advances of medical science. And so just because it's not in the Bible doesn't mean that we shouldn't pay attention to it.
0: Sure. And, you know, one other thing you, you finish up with, I think, in that list is that some folks will say, well, government mandates are morally wrong. And we've already kind of you know, I think touched on that issue. It is interesting to me, and I think you might bring this up somewhere in your piece, or I've, I think I may have read this from you before. You know, there there are a lot of things that government mandates. Um, you know, and one thing I've uh, kind of you know brought up with folks who will bring this up to me is, you know, uh, clearly, yeah, if if you know, religious freedom is being infringed upon, the church you know, people who are followers of Christ ought to take a stand. Right. Um, at what point do you do that, uh, with any infringement on civil liberties, right? For example, you know, when I was a kid, I remember seatbelts were mandated in Arizona where we lived at the time and everybody was up in arms about that, uh, at the time. And now it's pretty much, you know, everybody wears a seatbelt. Don't, you know, have have a second thought about it. The police will even give you a ticket if you don't wear a seatbelt. I mean, that's, that's pretty coercive, right? Um, And yet it's, you know, so is the church supposed to take a stand against seatbelts against, you know, because there's risk associated with it. There's also benefits, right? You know, you could argue it's a public health issue. I mean, there's, there's so many things we could talk about different, you know, what about stops or, you know, smoke, ban on smoking in public places or whatever it might be. Um, You know, what's wrong with this, this idea that all government mandates are wrong morally wrong?
1: Yeah, I I mean that's the whole point of anarchy is at, at some point the government is there is no point to government unless the government mandates stuff. Mm-hmm. That's what the governments do. You know, they they lay down laws and there has to be some teeth behind those laws and generally speaking most of the laws, you could argue, are actually beneficial for society at large. The seatbelt thing, yeah, I, I grew up without seatbelts. We rolled around in the back of the car, no seatbelts, no airbags, no nothing. <laughs> right. I'm lucky to be alive. Right, right. We used to wear back of pickup trucks, like sure. We'd have a dozen kids in the back of a pickup truck. We're driving down the freeway, you know, and we did that all the time. And now that's illegal. You know, and <laughs> right. and when when they made that when they made that illegal, we we're like we we're all upset about it. Oh man, what's wrong with this? The so what we don't what most people don't realize is that a lot of people died for the behind each law that, that there is that the government put out, a lot of people have died. There's a reason. And part of yeah. my yeah, part of my eye opening circle helmets and things like that. Just, this, I see these people who are dead. You know, I, I've done the autopsies. I've I've been there. I've done that. And so now I, it's starting to dawn on me that a lot of these a lot of these laws make a lot of sense, uh, even though a lot of people never personally see it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that, they're just blessed not to have seen it because I have seen it. And so, the you know, the a lot of these laws are based on really really tragic stories that that are much more common than people realize. And so it's like, well, you know, you you just don't realize some of these things until you, until it happens to you.
0: Yeah. I think you, uh, you hit on something there though. I think that is trying to avoid. Right. 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 Well, and I think that right there though, is a big issue with what's happened over the last year and a half here in our country. Right. Because we have, experts or people who specialize in, in public health who are saying, Hey, we need to do this. We should wear masks. We should social distance. You guys should get the vaccine. And everyone's like, no, I don't believe you. I mean, a lot of people, right. They're like, this is, you know, for whatever reasons they don't see it as being this serious or they think whatever they think. Um, so there's a, there's a disconnect between what, you know, those who have seen what COVID for example can do, uh, and those maybe who haven't, there's this, you know, this void yeah, there that needs why to be. I
1: really wish, I really wish it would it, it would be possible. I, I know it's not, but I I really wish it would be possible to give the general public tours of ICUs.
2: Mm, mm-hmm.
1: Like you know, come to the ICU and just see all the people there on ventilators who are dying, mm-hmm. and come and personally talk to somebody who, you know, is spending their last few minutes with their family on their cell phone. Before they die mm-hmm. or before they go unconscious, you know, and I think it will change the tune of a lot of people. But it's hard. It's hard to present these stories to people because there's so much misinformation and they're reading a lot of stuff on on the Internet and Facebook about tragic stories for people who got vaccinated and they suddenly died the next day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to explain to people that actually when you actually work in the hospital day after day after day, it's the unvaccinated who are getting slammed. Mm -hmm. Uh, the vast majority of people who are getting very sick and who are dying in the hospitals are unvaccinated. We, you don't see this, this influx of people who have vaccine injuries coming into the hospital. That's just not happening. I I haven't seen it. My brother-in-law who's a pulmonologist in Southern California. Hasn't seen it. All we see is the, you know, the tenfold increase in the unvaccinated coming in versus the vaccinated who are are desperately sick and dying.
0: Sure. well, I want to just ask you two more questions here. The first one, so so truly to summarize what we've been talking about here with the mandates um, and, and that third position where folks say, um, you know, I'm opposed to the vaccine as dangerous as poison, so I don't want to put it in my body. It's a religious issue for me not to receive the vaccine. And and so, you know, I'm an attorney. I've um, received some communications from folks who are asking me to help them with religious Uh, exemptions for example in their employment context and um and so i have provided folks with a a template letter that they can you know customize they can put in their religious conviction and they can present to an employer. and I, i i'm happy to do that because even though i don't agree with their position um i want to you know respect the principle of freedom of conscience right um but you've pointed out some reasons why that uh view you feel like isn't probably, and, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it, it, it may not represent God. Well, maybe, is that what you're saying here? Because it, there's some inconsistencies oftentimes, right? If you're saying I'm opposed to this vaccine for religious reasons, because it's going to, you know, uh, hurt my body. And yet you're doing other things that, um, are also risky. Right. Um, do you feel yeah, like, yeah, here's the potential? go ahead.
1: Sorry. No, yeah, I agree. It has the potential to backfire if you're at all inconsistent. It can backfire and and make people look more negatively at, at Christianity. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that's I guess that's the question. There is yeah, is are religious exemptions? And of course, we can't I guess judge on every case, but um, it seems like they have the potential to um, backfire. And I think that that's uh, that's well said. Um.
1: Yeah, I I don't want to discount. Honest and sincere convictions. It's just sure. that you better be. You for for me anyway. Before I pull the exemption card, I'd better be very serious about why I'm doing it, and I'd be better be very careful that I'm very consistent in it. Otherwise, I misrepresent God and I, I shed about a bad light on the gospel.
0: Yeah, right. You can't just be like, well, I I want to. I don't want to get this this vaccine, uh, so I've got to find a reason. To get around it, oh, religion. There we go. I'll use that, and that—that that to me is where there's a problem. As opposed to someone who's, you know, very consistent in some way, it makes sense to them, and that's fine. Sure, they want to use that as a reason, if that really is. You know, in your piece, I want to finish up asking you this. You say that um, our individual rights, well, certainly very nice while they last, uh, just aren't the main issue for the Christian. I thought that was an interesting statement. And I wanted you to just kind of expound on what you meant by that.
1: Yeah, I talked about Daniel and his three friends because they, they were not focused on their own rights. Um, they were focused on the gospel and, uh, and trying to represent God as effectively as possible. And they were extremely polite even to their captors and people who had, um, destroyed their city, killed their parents probably. And, um, and They even became eunuchs, mm. and they were still extremely polite and extremely careful in how they approached the commander and also the king himself. Even when they were threatened with death and they knew they were going to the fiery furnace, they they were still extremely respectful to King Nebuchadnezzar. They said, O king, live forever, but then they said, we, we still cannot serve your gods or worship this image that you've set up because we have a higher calling. And I think if you're primarily focused on spreading the gospel and representing God as, as best as you can, you're not so focused on your own individual rights. You're willing to give a lot up, even, even, uh, rights that you actually should have that, that technically are good human personal rights. You're willing to overlook even some of those things that are good. Uh, in preference to maintaining the credibility of the gospel, or maintaining your own ability to spread the gospel message as effectively as possible to somebody else, so the Christian is called to be able to or be willing to give up a lot of personal rights, if it, if in doing so, uh, it makes that person better able to spread the gospel.
0: Mm. Hey, thank you, Dr. Pittman. This has been a fascinating conversation, and just want to thank you for taking the time to uh, talk with us here on the Do Justice podcast. Well,
1: thank you very much. I really appreciate
0: it. Okay. God bless you and and, sure. uh, and your ministry as well. And if you want to hear, uh, read more of uh, Dr. Sean Pittman's um, work, uh, you can go to educatetruth.com. He has some great uh, pieces there and resources to look at, um, both on on this issue of you know COVID nineteen and and the vaccines and that type of thing, as well as just um, other uh, issues that are are fascinating as well. So, um, thank you, thank you again.
1: Thank you very much, Stephen. Have a good day.
0: Thanks for listening to Do Justice. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to rate the Do Justice podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can also connect with us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at Do Justice Now.